Cinemadeo film fans, I'm Jeff. And I'm John, and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right, and to avoid lazy negativity, we have decided to make this episode a drinking game. Yes. Pop? I don't know, Zoom, man. Zoom has taken out all of our popping sounds, all of our plosives here. God, what good <laughs> no, that's right. Anytime we, <laughs> anytime we say anything negative about a film or each other, we're probably going to say more things negative about each other than the film here. But anytime we say anything negative, you're going to hear this sound. That sound. And that sound means that Dave is still not here, but we are going to go ahead and take a drink. So pour That's right. So, uh, so hop in your F-18, put Fuck your yeah. planted cameras in the cockpit and get ready to fucking blast off because we are talking about Tom Cruise's Top Gun Maverick. Oh, my God. I'm so about, excited. Did you read about these six IMAX cameras that they specially designed to be able to go on these planes? Yeah, and then the actors had to, like, learn how to operate them. And I don't know, man. It seems like uh, Tom has done it again, in my opinion. I, I'm really excited the, to talk about this. With the actors with the DPs? Well, just, the, just for the planted ones, they had to be in the cockpit. They just had to learn how to yeah. turn them off and on. And I, I would imagine that there was a little bit more than just pressing a button. So, but <laughs> I'm sure that was also fun PR, even if it was just pressing a button, yeah. if they got to say that. Um, Anyone who saw the last Mission Impossible saw them really put that to the test inside the helicopters. They were just covering them. But I thought they were super, super effective in this movie as well. So let's do it, man. Well, we will get into the last director of Mission... Actually, the last director of the last two Mission Impossibles and one of the co-writers is Chris McQuarrie, who does have writing credits and story credits and producer credits on this here film. This is yes. Top Gun Maverick People. This just came out Memorial Day weekend. Movies are back. We waited so, so goddamn long for this. If you are new to our podcast, we try to keep it spoiler free for a couple minutes, uh, let's say 10 minutes or so. So that way, if you haven't seen it yet, but you want to know what our takeaway is and whether or not we recommend it, Stick around for 10 minutes. Please join us at the end of this episode. And by join, I mean just stay and listen because Stranger Things came out this week. Obi-Wan came out this week. A couple of documentaries, George Carlin, a lot of other things that we would like to talk about whether or not we recommend and our initial takeaways on other content that's going on in the stratosphere. This is the end of Emmy dump season. So all the TV shows are coming out now or never. And... I think that's it. Also, I think I should say that Top Gun, the OG Top Gun, was on Netflix. But by the time you hear this, it is going to be taken off of Netflix. It comes off Netflix May 31st. It's gone. Wow. God damn it. But I did get to rewatch it. Um, can we dive in? Do you want to say the sponsor's names really quick? Yeah, sure. We got some sponsors. Carlos Barroso is our beer sponsor. You can uh, find his his handle in the show notes at cbarroso.beer, C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O-B-E-E-R dot B-E-E-R, excuse me. And the music is provided by the artist Dasein, that's D-A-S-E-I-N. Head on over to the SoundCloud link, the Bandcamp link, and soon to be on Spotify. We'll let you know whenever that launch happens Woo. as well. So uh, music is available, ready to download. Yeah. So let's fucking do it. I am so excited to talk about yeah. this. Oh my God. Sorry, Dave's not here again. If the audio or the video isn't up to scratch, we want to talk anyway. So we're not going to wait for Dave to come back from Australia. He's heading back today. Hope to see you again soon. Um, Australia, really cocky over there. <laughs> <laughs> Getting topical on the uh, love okay. cinema. Okay. Did you rewatch Top Gun recently? When was the last time you saw the original Top Gun? 
as soon as, you know, because remember this release date got pushed back for Top Gun Maverick. So there was a moment in time when we thought it was going to be released in 2021. Um, so I watched it at least once during the pandemic. Yeah. Ah. So probably at some point in 2020 and then a little bit more after that. And then when I came home from um, seeing Top Gun Maverick the other night, my girlfriend was watching the original. So I was like, fuck yeah. So I got to sit down and it was fun just seeing the contrast. You said you watched it recently? I So actually, I watched it. Um, I started it on Friday night. Uh, this is Memorial Day weekend it came out. And then I, I got up on Saturday morning, and while I was like making my breakfast, I was like, no, nah, I want to finish this. And then I finished the movie, and it actually fin- it ended so well for me that I literally was like, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was like, Oof. I'm going to see this, this movie now. Like, I, I, I went right from finishing the first one, because it just it oh, ends. Oh, God, really, that's good, dude. It ends really well. Um, I will say, too, and I, I didn't necessarily mean to go on this tangent, but... It's so funny. So this this movie is is it was like basically sponsored by the Navy. That's how they got Navy pilots to help with them and coordinate. And the original one that is, well, the current one too. But the original Top Gun had a lot of Navy support. Um, a lot of actors didn't want to join because they thought that it was glorifying war, uh, which mm. it kind of was. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so funny because it's they have a lot of like locker room humor that's very homophobic. This is during the Reagan administration, AIDS obviously, you know, leading into the very homophobic nineties. But it's so funny that you and I both know that this is definitely in like, it's in the like, gayest movie ever made. It's in, the, it's in, it is in oh. the Queer King Hall of Fame for sure, mostly because of the beach volleyball scene. Which I'm so sorry to everybody in the Reagan administration that thought this was not that the homophobia was. It it ended up turning into like straight up kink. All the locker room stuff where they were being homophobic. It's like, what are you hiding, guys? What are you mm-hmm. hiding? I think this is what they were talking about in the Bible, where they were like, oh, wait, all the soldiers who are away for three months, let, let's just make them not do stuff. And now it's been reinterpreted as gay Yeah, marriage. no, no, no. Like, I think no, anyone... No. They just meant that they don't want these locker room scenes going on in, 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 in Jesus' time. Anyone who doesn't think that uh, Iceman and Maverick were not very <laughs> dealing with some very intense sexual tension is fucking they lying to themselves. They definitely measured each other. In the locker room. <laughs> that last thing, that last line they say to each other about, you can be my wingman. It's like, no, you can be, I mean, it's just so, oh it's God. so flirty. They are just where, so flirty with each other. Is this where the, this, the, the, the idea of the wingman at bars, like, did, was that a thing before Top Gun? I, guess I don't know, but I bet there was, I bet it's always existed a little bit. But I'm excited because when we get into Top Gun Maverick, like that flirtation from the 80s when these yeah. were just two young men turned into a very sweet, like loving relationship yeah. that I'm excited well, for us to comment on. At the end of the first movie, if you remember, um, Tom Cruise, I think he has the um, he has the what do you call them? The the fucking military dog, dog tags. tags. He has yeah. um, Goose's dog tags. And then he says something like, you never, ever leave your wingman. And then he throws the dog tags off the aircraft carrier into the ocean. And I was like. Titanic, Titanic, the, greatest, the great love story of the '90s. <laughs> Titanic stole the running crew fucking Top Gun. Oh, you know what? Maverick. <laughs> you know what? I'm also, I'm also working it just to just to just to bring it up for a second. I've been working at this uh, post production company, Four Two Four Post, this summer, and in the sound world, fucking. Top Gun is like heralded as just being one of the sweetest like mixes. Tony Scott directed it. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, this current movie is dedicated to Tony Scott. Yes, Kevin O'Connell. In in loving memory. Kevin O'Connell mixed it. um, One of the mixers on it, I believe, and uh, he eventually won for. uh, um, Damn it! What was the Mel Gibson movie? 
with uh, Andrew Garfield. Oh, um, uh, Hacksaw, Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, so I've heard him in interviews uh, talk about what it was like. Sound, right? He went. Yeah, for, for Hacksaw Ridge, yeah. So, but uh, just he was just, just listening to him and other people and just interviews across the years talking about working with Tony Scott on, on anything really, but this one like really made him pop. And just the sound design yeah. is just absolutely fucking crazy. You know, I mean, one of the big things we're going to get into with the difference this Top Gun Maverick versus the old Top Gun is just how much they were able to record visually. Mm -hmm. um, getting all these shots of actual actors inside of cockpits and, you know, not having to use false, false backgrounds the entire time. And also technology with sound has gone through the roof as well. So I can't wait just to just oh God, sound, allude yeah. to the kick-ass sound design, Hans Zimmer score. I mean, fucking yeah. bring it on, dude. So much fun. I, um, last thing I want to say about the uh, queer kink idea of the first film is, um, you have, uh, the oh, you're not done. You're not done with the queer <laughs> you have, kink. You have Air Boss Johnson, the guy who keeps spilling the coffee every time Maverick does the drive-bys. He, when Maverick, <laughs> when Maverick and Chris are outside the office and he's doing the drive-by, he says, get, he, first of all, he has one of the best goddamn son of a bitch lines of all time. <laughs> but he says, get me some butts. I want some butts. <laughs> So let me segue back into this movie. So I, I watched this movie, the, the majority of it I watched on Saturday and then went right to the IMAX screening. And by the way, as soon as I finished it, I told my parents, I said, go see this movie and see it in IMAX, please. Yeah. See it in IMAX immediately. <laughs> and they did. So good. Um, they they did basically a shot for shot of the opening and it, it actually I, I was so it was so iconically the same shot by shot the same is the same music with by the way I know Highway to the Danger Zone's great also I have to say it sounds pretty gay there's the lyrics and they don't rhyme it, the lyrics are terrible it's really funny how good this song is considering the lyrics are you could literally say like I'm sitting on an asphalt driveway I've got a bicycle highway. Like th those would be lyrics would be better than whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> shitty. Um, they don't even rhyme. But it was so close. I actually was sitting in my seat and I said, "Did I just fuck up? Did I is this like a double header, like a special where they're gonna play the original and then play the next one?" Because I, yeah. I was so confused because it was exactly the same. The text was the same. The shots of the air. Yeah, the font. The font was the, the sunrise shot. I mean, it's just. Oh my god! Yeah. The only thing that was noticeably different was the sound was so goddamn good in this. But the sound did save the first one because of insurance and stuff. The, the, they didn't fly. Most of those flying scenes were done in a soundstage, or they were done on. Um, you probably know better than me. But the sound made it sound like they were really flying. And however they captured yeah. it, however they shot the Navy pilots, or whatever. But holy shit, the sound of that opening! I was like, okay, Highway to the Danger Zone's cool. Just hearing it, and I, yeah. I was like, that's cool, with that opening. And then, of course, it said Jennifer Connelly, and that's how I was like, oh, okay, great, 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 great. That's how I was in business. But honestly, I was hooked from the from the very beginning. I was, I was in Me business. too, dude. Yeah, if we're getting right into our takeaways, I mean, I uh, I had realized that I hadn't planned my – all right, I live in, living in Los Angeles – I didn't run into this in New, York, in New York quite as often as I run into it here. You've got to plan your movies ahead of time if you want to see it in one of the large formats because people see fucking movies here, dude. Like, pack seats. So I had to go really late the other night. ended up going by myself, and I was like, no, 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 no. i got to see this in one of the big formats. I, I yeah. want to fucking hear this movie. And I'm so glad I did. It was a packed theater. People were very, very excited. A lot of hooting and hollering. And, I mean, 
I, I was right there along with, I don't think a, the smile left my face the entire time until at the very end when I was genuinely like emotionally moved by this movie. Um, I was like screaming at one point, everybody had like their arms up in the air. Like yeah, some people, you know, I mean, literally like that, we got like three mass like applause section in ours. So like, I, I don't think, I can't remember the last time I had this much fun in the theater. And like, I think we're pretty positive in general about like we try to have fun in the theater. Like we love saying that line, but like, I mean, honestly, this was a, uh, this did not let me down. I remember the first time I saw a trailer for this a couple of years ago and I was like, Oh my God, they're going for it. They can't help themselves. They're doing it. But it really did land. There's only a couple of things that I'm not even going to say they're criticisms. Is it, um, is it shamelessly nostalgic and does it recreate some of the things from the beginning one? Are there some cheesy moments? Yeah, sure. And none of it matters. It still delivers so hard. It is exactly what you, I think you are going to be so satisfied. It's exactly what you think it's going to be. And then some, I think it really did surpass it for me. Uh, Tom Cruise, everything he touches is just so fucking entertaining. And I don't think he, I don't think if anybody has anything negative to say about this, I would just be so surprised. It's just so on the nose. I heard some things, everything was positive, but you definitely, and you get this with critics and the, the critics that I listen to are not the stuffy New York theater critics. <laughs> you know, the ones that are like, oh, so everybody <laughs> laughed and had a good time. And, you know, it just didn't do that. You know, and then like they get hoity-toity about it, even though they're acknowledging that everybody loved it, except for their just sad, depressed, you know, selves. Um, there were a few that were like, oh, this, this, I felt like I was crashing someone else's party. I was like, I know I just watched this movie, but what, what, what party were you crashing when the movie opens with Tom Cruise test filing a stealth pilot trying to go to Mach 10? And it was done. And they, and I love the fact that they did it at night. There's something so cool about seeing it. I wonder if these these critics, and again, they were positive, but I wonder if they didn't see it in IMAX because when it gets dark and all you see are like the lights on the runway and the lights on all of the boards, whether that's in the cockpit or whether it's in like the controls, I don't know any of these term, term I don't know the terminology, the terms. Yeah, fine. Ed Harris like kind of posing while the, the plane goes over him. But at the same time, it's a Tom Cruise movie. You know that they probably really did that. They probably really took off that fucking plane while Ed Harris just. Oh, that shot was so awesome, dude. And and to see that at night, to watch him go up into the sky, and the camera's obviously fucking with him, basically in the cockpit. They probably have two, for all I know, on the same plane. Like, how how are you not sitting there going, like, why why do we go to these like Disney World and these other places where they have the seats rumble and the thing come at you? It's so exciting. Like, there's a reason VR is taking off. This is as close to VR as I've gotten, maybe with the exception of Avatar, ever in the theater. And everything was, all the choices were great. So it wasn't just like the flying sequences were cool because it will get old. It's like good singing. Like, eventually this, you're going to get bored and you're going to want the show to end. But this really didn't. The story really did. They made just the smart, simple choices that really, really carried us through this film. I, I, I I did not feel like I was crashing someone's nostalgia party. I felt like they did a perfect job of, of high-fiving little things like the reaction Tom Cruise has in the first one when he realizes that the woman he hit on the night before, Kelly McGillis, is the instructor. They have the exact same reaction this time where the guy at the bar that bought them all of the drinks, Tom Cruise, is their instructor that they kept calling old man. And they have the exact same expression where they have the hand in the face, like, oh, hiding in shame. So, like, if I... I if I didn't know the first movie, I still would have thought that was the right choice in the moment. I wouldn't have thought, like, what are they doing, you know? So little things like that, I just think they, it was the perfect amount of nostalgia, and this story yeah, was, was tight. Okay, cool. Where do you want to go from here? 
I'll let you take it away because there's there's so much shit to talk about. And before this turns, I mean, I think we should. I think we love it so much. So let's just go ahead and turn it off and go see it right now. Let's go ahead and talk about some spoilers, just because. Yeah, I think all that stuff on the surface is why you're going to get into the theater. And now we can talk about a little bit of the story stuff and spoil it for you. But uh, it doesn't matter if it's spoiled because you're going to want to see it again. I'm going tomorrow I night. I want to see it again. You are? <laughs> I almost went on the way here. All the IMAX times are at 7. And I was like, if they were at 6, because that would have been the perfect timing for me. I was like, can I get one at 6? I'm doing it, dude. I cannot wait to see it again. It was so much feel fun. feel it. You want to get it there. You want right. to feel something. All right, so the biggest. All right, so what are some of the biggest things that aren't in the trailer? Um, Kelly McGillis isn't in this one. They don't try to do anything with that character. I thought, thought, yeah, I thought we might see some of those people, but they they really. All right, here's. I think the best thing about this movie is it's in the fucking title. (laughs) When you watch the first Top Gun, it's not that Tom Cruise isn't very obviously the lead and the protagonist and you're with him, but there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a distance between us and him with the way that they like tell that story. And I mean like actual like cinematic language and stuff. This one from the get go, it's extremely intimate with him. You don't feel like you're watching a, you know, a young soldier, a young pilot kind of go through the ringer of what it's like to go through this elite training school and fall in love and stuff and lose their friend. This one they do a really good job from the get-go of just assuming you've cared about this guy since 1986, right? Like they just, they even if you don't, even if you're not a cult-loving Top Gun fan, they do a really good job of just making you think you're right here with us. You're going to be with him the whole time. It starts with him alone. It it There's so much time that you have where you're just like only in his point of view. Yeah. So even when they start introducing a lot of the, the younger crew, the, you know, the new pilots and stuff, I thought they did a really good job of balancing. He's kind of the instructor now, which means he might be until the latter half of the movie, he might come off like a little, a little less exciting. I think they were probably sitting around and they were like, how do we, you know, we don't want him to be like a superhero, but we also want him to start to try to find the balance between, yes, he might be the best, but he's, he's got to be forced into this situation where he's not stealing the limelight all the time. And I thought they did that with intimacy. I thought they made me care about him and made in the, it's it's an obvious simple choice, but to make him more vulnerable, to make to make Maverick more vulnerable, and my best example of this, and it really did it touched me. I thought it was really effective. One of the scenes that they kind of try to recreate is the uh, the sex scene. They have the classic yeah. where like she lays down in the profile and he kind of lowers down and kisses her, well, and then it kind of turns in into uh, <laughs> yeah, and then it kind of turns into to them just talking to each other. It, it isn't really about this crazy, hot, steamy sex. It really, that, that shot happens and then it mostly is them just talking and then it turns into this lovely scene. So I feel like they found the, they found a great balance of like showing this man who we all know is, you know, he's, is he 60 yet? He might be 60 by now. And we're just kind of 59, 60, 61. I think we were all supposed to, even even though he looks as good as he does in you know in real life, I think we were supposed to assume this man is not the, you know, the young okay. alpha anymore. He turned sixty in one month. He turned sixty in one month. Okay, well he looks great. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I thought the intimacy was great. It got me there. Um, yes, they went into all the things in the trailer that you thought they were going to. Uh, what did you think of Miles Teller as um, as Goose's son? You know, this is gonna sound crazy, but I. 
the only thing that I really looked up in this movie, because I had heard a John Hamm interview, because he had a couple movies coming around around the pandemic, and you could tell he was bummed in the interview because he was like doing the press junket for something to in his living room, you know, and he was like still not used to that. <laughs> um, yeah. And he, he was like, Top Gun, yeah, it's the lady year. I can't wait for people to see it. The flying sequences are great. Uh, you know, it's almost like he's, he's like, he has to stifle all of his intensity. Um, but I, I didn't even think, I just didn't care to think of who Miles Teller would be playing. And so I thought it was great that it was he's Goose's son, but he's taking on what would you would think would be like an Iceman persona in that he's um, he's cocky and conceited. But there is another surrogate Iceman. So for some reason, that triangulation left him in this really interesting place where he wasn't cocky. Because Miles Teller does cocky a lot in these movies. He was confident for sure, but he also knows that he had to work harder than everybody else. And he actually genuinely had to earn it. And that required some humility. I actually thought, this is one of my favorite Miles Teller performances in a while. And I don't even know if the script helps him out that much. He's a, it's a great role. I'm not saying that. But it's outside of the first scene where he, it's just him without Tom Cruise. So you can just sort of see how he reacts with, with the other people. He's playing the piano. And it's kind of, I guess that's touching. That was cool seeing the original movie and then seeing Miles Teller mm-hmm. playing Great, Great Balls of Pirates. Yeah, it's a little cheesy that it's the same song. But fuck it. Come on, guys. Let's go. Yeah, and cares, from yeah. then on, it's 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 combative because he's with Tom Cruise, who's like almost like a stepdad and the worst kind of stepdad or something. So, I I just I thought that it was just a mostly unspoken, tense relationship between the two of them, and I thought he I thought he hit it perfectly because every single time they were on the screen together, the two that, the tension between the two of them was looming over the whole scene, and I, that is kudos to the to the actor. And and I thought it was kudos to everything you're saying, and. Uh, you know, this made me, when I was thinking about trying to, to discuss them and their dynamic for this episode, it kind of made me think about what our criticisms were of of uh, the last Bond movie. And, you know, it's such a, it's, some of this is relative to the fact that Bond is like this pre-existing IP. And I think at one point we were talking about how, how trying to make James so fucking vulnerable and make it almost take his story away from him and to put it on his emotional foils in that movie did kind of do something not great for for all three of us. I think we all felt that way. This was such a good example to me of how how culturally we have changed and they they used it to their advantage with storytelling. These are two alpha males. I mean, like, you know. And the reason that they had a a, a, a conflict that worked was was not the Iceman-Maverick conflict. I wouldn't even say that was true for the, the younger Iceman kind of character in this one. I can't remember his coyote, or no, what was his name? Hang, Hangman. Hangman and uh, Rooster, uh, Miles Teller's character. The men who Rooster, are the foils like in this goose. one. and Rooster, Rooster, Goose, both birds, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Miles Teller and Tom Cruise showed their pain. So it didn't just exist in, the conflict didn't just exist in, in anger and hate. The way... A movie like this may have created foils like that between two male leads in the 80s. You know, and you know, if whatever, times sign, you know, sign of the times and things have changed. But I thought it was really good. And it again, it came from that intimacy thing. We were already beginning to care so much about Maverick. And I, I really do think that they were trying to show us that like he's so aware of his ridiculous problems um with his own commitment issues, uh, and just his 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 it's not what I am, it's who I am. I think he says that line about being a fighter pilot to, to Val Kilmer at one point. And, and that's such a, you know, there's so many lines like that that just seem so cheesy, 
when you read them on the page, but I think they did a good job of bringing that to life. And I think Rooster served as a platform for, for Maverick to become even more vulnerable. And this pays off, folks. This pays off in this huge sequence at the end that I was kind of hoping was coming. I was like, please tell me these two are just going to end up alone somewhere, have to save each other. And and they they deliver. They're pretty shameless about that, too. They put them alone behind enemy lines. And you get to see that relationship strengthen. And him finally kind of take on even more of that father figure character. And I thought it just worked so well. And I think you're totally right. I don't know what kind of conversations Miles Teller had with the director, Joseph Kaczynski, but I think he brought a lot of vulnerability to it because it would have been way too easy for Miles Teller to walk into the audition room and play Hangman. I thought it was cool that they were like, no, 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 let's see what happens if he's if he's got a, you know, a real, a real torment to him, something, a real chip on his shoulder. It was fun just seeing him not be the top, which also was also, that was always so intriguing to me about Goose in the first one that was like, that guy has so much confidence. He seems so happy and nobody thinks he's the most important guy in any room. But, you know, so I thought he captured that really well, too. It was really touching. Well, building up, I think going back before we even get to Miles Teller, one of the reasons that, especially with sequels, the openers matter so much more in sequels than first movies to me, because I feel like in first movies, you can experiment a little bit more. And, you know, if you... If, I don't know, maybe you can disagree with that, but when it comes to sequels, you could really lose an audience quickly because we come in with expectations, even if we haven't seen the movie. And so you can start to sniff out like, oh, is this a cheap ploy to get them back together? Is it doing what Obi-Wan does? And it's like, oh, fuck, we're going into like episode of the week kind of stuff. And it's like, they're letting the plot take over the character, whatever. Like the way that, that we find out very early on, and they do the exposition really well, that Tom Cruise, the reason he hasn't advanced is not just because of his wild antics. You know, that would be too cheap if he's just like too crazy for the Air Force, but they need him, or the, sorry, the Navy. Too crazy for the Navy, but they need him for this. The fact that the reason is if he advances to Admiral, for instance, he won't be able to fly anymore. And he, he clearly is an adrenaline junkie. And I think that's okay in this. It's, this is not one of those like, oh, fuck, yeah, let's go out there and kill some men. No, he just, he, he's an adrenaline junkie. And he put himself in a position where he is the only person that can lead this program, which is developing mock planes that can fly at, you know, 10 times the speed of sound or whatever. And he's the only one who can fly it. And if, if he doesn't fly them, then everybody loses their jobs, which he could probably relate to because he's a brand. So he probably has people where he makes a decision. It affects 100 people. And also the idea of drones. And you have Ed Harris. And, I, and I've seen some weird things about Ed Harris because he it's a small role. So it seems a little, like, cheap and a little, you know, oh, we just need Ed Harris to say, we're sending you to Top Gun. So you hire him or whatever. But the truth is... It works so well that Ed Harris is fucking old in this. I don't know. Ed Harris aged a lot. He does not have the Maggie Maggie Smith skincare routine. I know Maggie Smith's old now, but she, I mean, Hook was 30 years ago. She's like aged five years since then. Ed Harris has aged 100 years since uh, fucking um, A Beautiful Mind. But the fact that he is the one that's like, drones are the future. Why would we risk pilots? Why would why would I risk the life in this expensive aircraft when we could, when we could use drones? And he's old. And Maverick is like, because it's not about... It's about the person who's who's flying, which is you know one of those weird cheesy things that they pull off really well. So yeah, this, it's about the pilot, setup, not the plane. He goes Mach 10. He pushes it too far. He destroys the plane. What a funny moment where he's covered in dirt in that outside barn. Oh yeah. And you know he's gonna go, but he's gonna he's gonna go back to Top Gun and he's gonna be the instructor. But it's like, it's not just because he's reckless. 
It's that's not just the re, it's not just it's not the Mighty Ducks people. It's not like the guy with the DUI is coaching a hockey team and it's like wait a second. Yeah, again, again, it's not that he. You know, you're so right, and I think it's along the same lines of what I was saying. It's not. Um, it's not just like hard dick anger. You know, like rah, he's he's yeah. not angry at everybody the way Emilio Estevez's character. You know, kept getting in trouble. He couldn't advance because he just didn't have it. He wasn't collective enough. Um, it is. It's more nuanced than that. And let's give it up to Tom fucking Cruise yeah. for figuring out a way. It, like I feel like oh, so many of his movies, this theme like comes into play because I think he's like trying to prove to everyone that yeah, humans. I don't know if robots are going to replace humans in in aircraft, and I don't think VFX. Just, not anytime soon. My robots suck, man. My robots can't. Uh, my, me too. Shit, they don't know how to dictate my words. My robots <laughs> suck. But I also don't think that. I think he's also trying to make the point in all of his movies, and he goes further and further with every one of them. VFX will never replace watching people do this shit. Yeah. And watching him in these scenarios, and there's a few sequences in here, folks, where he pushed it so hard. Um, there's eventual, there's a demonstration eventually. Uh, we can talk about it, I guess, when he basically just needs to prove to them that like it can be done. He steals a fucking plane and he just, you know, you know he's coming. already, you know, it's coming and you, I just you know, it's coming. Like, Honestly, on. dude, it kind of surprised me a little bit. I thought we were going to get there differently, but the fact that he's just, no, let's just cut to it. He's already in the air. Uh, they actually, that was, that was the only one that they were allowed to. They actually flew under a hundred, a uh, hundred feet. What? And Tom Cruise was in the plane like he was for all the other ones, but they did not want to use as many virtual backgrounds for that one. So they really yanked him around right above the ground in the mountains. I mean, and you could see it on his face. No acting required. He was getting yanked and thrown around that plane, and it looked fucking. Awesome. And I'm, excuse me, but that is fucking movie magic. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, good practical effects aren't, aren't going to create movie magic too, but every time he puts himself in these scenarios and it kind of raises the bar, I think a lot of the other actors who were put in the back of these cockpits, you, you can sense that they're not, I don't know, there just seemed to be something exciting about watching this movie Whereas, I'm, and I'm sorry, but like, there, there's really amazing things that happen with VFX and all the all the great giant movies that come out nowadays, the the Marvels and the Star Wars and stuff. But I don't know if you sit on the edge of your seat because of the action. You might sit on the edge of your seat if the story's good and the suspense gets you, and you're like, "What's happening?" You might have a lean-in moment, but you're not literally there, kind of like worried that somebody's going to get hurt yeah. the way you are when you're watching these movies. And I mean, there were like three or four where people were literally like, I could see them just being like, oh, like they were like gritting their teeth around me. Yeah. So was, good I, for I was, Tom Cruise for saying it can still be done. Well, and I, this, this comes back to again, choices, 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 the overall choice for number one, that they didn't name the enemy. I think that's really important nowadays because it's so easy to get tied up in these movies. Of, that's a callback from number one, right? Yeah, well, in number yes. So, so this is this is gonna get to my second point. But let me finish my first point. And don't name the enemy. I'm so fucking sick of World War One and World War Two movies. And I know like Dun <laughs> Dunkirk was great, 1917 was great. Can we end? Can we stop with the World War Two movies? It was a long time ago. There, um, who was it? The the guy who directed Rain Man, Barry Levinson, just did uh, 
uh, concentration camp boxing movie about a guy who has to box his way out of the concentration camp. Sounds like a really interesting story. If it didn't make it in the first 80 years, it didn't make it, all right? Like, I, we, we need a break. I just, we need a fucking break. You don't want to see Spielberg and Tom Hanks's Flyers movie about the, or the miniseries on HBO that's coming out? <laughs> I'm just saying, it's not, it's not a great sign that we've had so many wars since then, but it's like, the only thing that defines us is Omaha Beach. And after that, we just like, kind of forget. We're just like, oh, yeah, we don't get it. Also, when it comes to this kind of thing, also, I'm sick of bombing the Russians. I'm watching Stranger Things now, and there's this whole Russian subplot because it's the 80s. Fine. But it's like the Russians and Germans, the only white people we can hate. So, and it's like for decades and decades of us hating the Russians. But now we can't just, we can't just bomb and fill in the blank country that would be enriching uranium. Because that's what this is. They're enriching uranium. We can't just make movies where we're just bombing. Nobody knows what these countries are anyway, so we just assume they should all be bombed for enriching uranium. I'm really glad that they... They took the stand to not name a country. Set point number two, which you said, which is a callback to the first movie. The first movie, the one thing that's really crazy to me about the first movie is it's just camp. I know it's like know. the most elite camp in the world, but the st- like Goose dies because they want to win camp, not because they're fighting enemies. And then, yes, you get that little bonus coda at the end where it's like, oh, sorry. On the day of their graduation, they have to leave. And by the way, Tom Cruise is definitely suffering from some mental health, what we would now call PTSD or some other kind of syndrome. But they're like, we need to get him flying again. Let's go. We got to go fight the enemy. And yes, they did not name the enemy in the first one. You're right. But that was like bonus. I'm glad that at the beginning of this, it was right away. We, we need to do this. It has to be a human because we have to do this, that. You know, there's a couple little, they have to stay on. There's a lot of things that a Jerome operator, they just didn't trust. They wanted somebody behind the wheel. People, somebody's not going to make it. Somebody's not going to come home. And it was a perfect scenario. And I've watched many episodes of like Ninja Warrior. And I'm like, where do they come up with these fucking jungle gyms? This was the craziest scenario. The the way where you have to be a certain height for the anti-aircraft missiles to go off, but they're going to have to get there on the final peak. And the way you have to do the flip, all of this stuff was laid out so that by the time Tom Cruise does it by himself and all of the kids are like, what we can't, we have to go under a certain feet. We have to, and all of a sudden I'm there in the audience and I'm like, yeah, they have to fly less than a hundred feet. John Hamm? Otherwise, you know what I mean? Like, the fact that we care about these fucking things that I've never heard about, why would I ever care about this kind of thing? And you're right, this could be obsolete in five years. The way that they made that important and matter is really, really, really clever. It's just so simple. It was really brilliant, and I'm glad that they demanded it and they didn't take anything less. Well, it was such a good... We've talked about this when we... I think Jeff and I were team Mission Impossible Mm -hmm. uh, when we were doing our uh, franchise face-off. And we always, we kept talking about how successful they have been at just one-upping themselves. And and it never feels super cheap. And cheap's not even the right word, because I think we were were also talking about how like Fast and the Furious does it, but they kind of are winking at you. They know it's silly and flying a car in space, like Jesus Christ, what are they doing? It's it's fun in a different way. With the Mission Impossibles, they somehow make you, it, it, it seems like, well, he has to, because that's the only way to achieve this mission, is to do that new, ridiculous, crazy thing. This was the same way. The old Top Gun is exclusively about dogfighting. That's it. So I thought it was a lovely way to call it back to, yes, that's eventually what all military aircraft are going to be doing, unless they're a bomber. Any of these fighter planes are eventually, that's you know, the top of their craft is going to be dogfighting, and it's kind of a lost art. And I thought that was fun, the way they were trying to eventually build to that. But it's almost like they were like, but but we can't just go straight to dogfighting. We've, we've done that already. And so to create this like obstacle course thing that really was not just this is a little thing, but like they created something that was truly like impossible. So it gave them this enormous amount of conflict between him and the leadership so that it wasn't just, 
we have our angry alpha male pilot that's trying to get these kids angry like he is and uh, you know, buzz the the tower and make us spill our coffee and shit. They figured out a way to make it emotional. Their lives were on the line. So now we had this entire group of young people who we were we were beginning to care about. And also you just they did a good job of balancing like John Hamm, you know, who was not supposed to be like purely antagonistic. It's just this is just military tactics and there's different strategies. He was convinced there was no way not to be as to assume that they were going to die. Tom Cruise was basically saying, no, 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 there's still a way, Maverick, Tom Cruise, whatever. No, 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 there's still a way to do it. And the fact that it came out of this like thrilling, like let's push our limits to the absolute edge, it worked emotionally and physically. It's just like really, really, really good adventure movie making. Yeah. Um, I, I just felt like so moved by it. So even though there was this, uh, there's this big montage in the middle where he's teaching like he's really i'm going to push you to your limits i'm going to make cool. you realize you don't know what you are yet cool. and it all worked because each each section of it was first time was just fun i'm going to show you you're not as good as you think you are the second time was like how are you gonna i'm going to actually show you what you need to do and we're going to try to figure out a way to get better and better at it and while that was happening you know the the interceding of his of his of his mission and just taking it away from him and by the time John Hamm is standing in front of them again with a different plan that is absolutely going to get them killed, you're freaking out. You're kind of just like, oh my God, this is going to be a really dark movie. I hope Tom Cruise just flies in and saves them all because he's yeah. about, they're about to all go get killed. Also, I, I, we, you wonder, like, is Tom, is Tom, sorry, is John Hamm just saying that now, but then in the battlefield say, okay, now do it at 100 feet. <laughs> Whereas Tom Cruise is like, no, you, we have to train it. Like, you're, you know, you have to practice like you play. Uh, you don't even know. And then you just sit there and it's like, John Hamm's talking and you're like, what the fuck is he talking about? And I'm thinking that as the audience and I don't know what any of this even means. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is never going to work, John. This is never going to work. <laughs> like, okay, but you mentioned the emotional stuff. Okay, so let's talk, we have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is that it's not a very female movie, right? It's very male. Um, so is the first one, but obviously the first one becomes this love story. I think the tagline is something like, a man who's there to become the best pilot realizes there's more to life than flying and something shit, which is fun because all he does is fly for the rest of his life. But, <laughs> flying um, gets him everything he wants. Yeah. Actually, the first yeah. thing first that I, I want to say, and I'm glad I'm glad that nobody's saying this, so forgive me if I'm I'm mentioning this, something that it would be better unspoken, but there's one female flyer out of the 12 that are there, and they never even insinuate that that's going to be a situation, that they're, like, they have to keep an eye out on that. Like You have 11 wannabe alpha males competing and then you have one female and that's never they even played beach volleyball and yet somehow the fucking first top gun which was all male was way more sexual than this one where you have mixed gender <laughs> I, I think and they didn't have to mention it I'm, I'm i don't mean to mention it now to say like we should talk about like why didn't they you know i'm glad that they didn't i think that's pretty cool it's not just timely for now but also if if their lives were on the line and, and this is this is this this is the world people are still going to pair up and get married and stuff but it's it's cool that that people can go to the naval academy and not just expect uh, who's going to be the guy to get the girl what like what movies have been wanting us to, I, I feel like those have been plugged into our brains for decades but maybe maybe there's other maybe that's not i even think they uh I, they, they planted a fun flag at the beginning where when miles teller's character is introduced i thought they were going to be will they or won't they because yeah. she's like i didn't know you were going to be here and she kind of hits him with the pool cue and you think like oh okay they're setting this thing up and they're really just friends and yeah. I thought that was like really refreshing that they were just, you know, combatants. Badass. And that Bob really wanted to be her wingman. Yeah. And then Jennifer Connelly. So Jennifer Connelly's character, 
Again, it's still weird that they didn't bring back Meg Ryan. I know that um, Meg Ryan had some, I guess, trauma related to the last movie, but um, was it a Meg Ryan that was Goose's wife? Did she? Was it a, no, it was a different Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, she's Goose's wife. She's Miles Teller's mother. In, it is. That right? would be her. It's, that is Meg Ryan. Okay. Well, anyway, so you have Jennifer Connelly, whose character was just mentioned by the Admiral, who apparently insinuated that um, Tom Cruise's character, Maverick, might have, you know, been chasing down the, the the admiral's daughter or whatever. But now, decades later, it's humbling. It's like, oh my god, you work here. We had that past. We had that history, but we're so past that now. And obviously, it'll never work out based on our past. And and it creates this conflict where even if you didn't know that, which I didn't really know it, even though I could tell that they knew each other, I didn't need to be filled in the blank. And I thought that was, I thought that was a cool way of doing it. And it got a really good laugh when Tom Cruise jumps out the window later on. So even though the love story, nostalgia, you know, goes after the first one, not the most important thing in this movie, I think they handled it well. What do you think? I do too. I think that, um, you know, whether we like it or not, it's a different movie when people start, I wish they would have given them more of a story. You know what? That's not, it, it won't be the same thing if this was a movie where we were supposed to have Equal protagonist. One is Jennifer Connelly, and one's Tom Cruise Maverick, and we kind of follow her half the time. I thought it really worked that they they told us and showed us information about her and about their past relationship. They gave us just enough context to for me that I was genuinely moved when I loved that the first couple of times they went out, he drove her home, and she she went inside and closed the door, and it was yeah, like, oh, that's things- fun. He had other things to think about too, and obviously she. And they're not fucking raging 20, 20 year olds anymore. You know what I mean? Like they're older. They've been through it. They respect each other. There's, you know, there's this whole thing. Kelly McGillis and him fall in love in like an afternoon. You know, like in the first one, which Back is still day, fun. You know I mean? But it's fun that this was. It was. Uh, it was established that they had a past. I thought that was touching. Yeah, was she like super like, too good to be true with the charm and stuff? I was like, all right, they're doing it. But it, it really got there for me. When she finally let him inside, like I said, that love scene was really touching to me. I love that it didn't become steamy, that it was mostly about yeah. them reconnecting. This one reminded and me when of, he... the, um, of the um, uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart music video. It was like total like Rocky Horror Camp, the first section. Maybe, maybe Risky Business, but yeah. <laughs> uh, shout out to uh, my best friend Adam and uh, Jack Daniel. You've heard him on this show before. First sex scene I ever saw, Adam and I were six years old and we stole Shane's tape of uh, Top Gun and we watched it in the basement and we were like, oh my God, oh my God, this is so cool. Pop quiz, Top Gun won one Oscar. What was the Oscar? Was it best song? Yeah, best song for that song. (laughs) Take my breath away. Take my breath away. Maybe because they read the lyrics and they're like, you guys got to submit. Take Take my my breath breath away is awesome. But all right, all right. So, So I was genuinely touched when Tom Cruise sneaks out of the, she's like, you can't go outside, my my daughter, or you can't go downstairs, my daughter's here, so he has to like jump off the roof, and he's like, I'm never leaving, super cheesy. Like, I'm never leaving you again. I was like, all right, we're in the cheesy place. And then he drops off the roof, and he, the daughter's standing right there in the kitchen, and she sees him, and she says, just don't break your heart again. And it got me. I was like, good. All the little cheesy, grounded, it just kind of brought it down for me, and I was like, they have a past. He knows it, they know it. I don't even know if they had sex. Like, honestly, they may have just gone up there and rolled around and just enjoyed each other's company. It just felt genuine to me. It felt really sweet. And I didn't need way more than that. 
Um, and we got a yeah. laugh. Tell me, tell me. I had one person in my theater that laughed so loud that it made everybody else laugh when he jumps out the window and you can see yeah. the silhouette of the head and he pops up and he's just staring at her. This laugh of this woman, I'll never forget. It was when she saw that. She was laughing so loud. It was really, really, really sweet. It was really charming. And uh, you know what? Um, very, very, very quickly, they established through a couple pieces of dialogue in two different scenes that they were trying to make it work multiple times and every single time he would get called off to duty. And, you know, we didn't need to know all the details of, well, he wasn't there for forever. Why didn't they just, yeah. you know, stay together? It doesn't matter. He kept going. This happens to a lot of people in the military. I think uh, when he shows up to the bar in his, in his dress whites, I, I felt it. I wasn't like, you know, boohooing, but I was like, damn, he's, he's going again. Like, and I thought, I thought, spoiler, folks, I thought he was going to die. I thought they might kill him. I was like, he's saying goodbye to her because he's going to sacrifice himself and save everybody. I, I really thought would. that's where this movie was but going. But that's a good choice because that is what he was doing. Yeah, he did try to do it. It was all right. So let's let's give let's go wait, even wait, further because I have I, tingles. I, I have I, fucking I tingles. Wait, can, too. Can, can, I, can, I, can I can I wait? Can I wait on the finish before we get to the ending? Yes, you can because I want to hear you talk about. Val Kilmer. I want to oh hear you. my god! How did you know? That's what that's what I wanted to talk about. Do it, dude. So last last this past summer, we watched Val. My family. We were at Cape May. Uh, I forget if everybody stayed up or not, but I've been a huge Val Kilmer fan my whole life. I don't even know why. I feel like the, one of the of first movies of his that I saw was The Saint, which I know people don't love, but for some reason it touched me. I was young and it was like I knew he was a good actor. And obviously, me, it's Willow. Willow, nice fuck yeah. But he's just he's just a good guy that you root for. And it is, it is so crushing what happens, what happened to him in real life. So if you don't know, he got cancer. He's throat cancer. He can't talk anymore. Is it throat cancer? Lung cancer? Um, he, he, he can't talk. They had to do a surgery that they had to cut in through his throat to get to his trachea, and, and it ruined his vocal cords. So he has the, yeah, you know, he has, he has the talk and the thing in there and stuff. And it's, a, it's honestly hard to listen to, to be honest. The cool thing about the documentary Val, which is about Val Kilmer, Val and his, his actually his older brother, who, spoiler, dies very early in their life, really wanted to be a filmmaker. They're from California. And so they started filming everything when they were kids and then when the, the brother died val was like they were so fucked up because the brother was like to the best of them he was like the river he was like the river phoenix of of the family and they were so they were so bummed by it that val ended up it's almost like he went to juilliard to get away from it all he was like well i'm gonna be the actor so he was the youngest person ever to get into juilliard that record has since been broken but he was like 16 Whoa. when he when he moved to new york holy and, shit yeah he graduated juilliard he was like 20 um, and he was just doing off-Broadway plays. He was in an off-Broadway play with with um, with Sean Penn and Kevin Bacon in like 1982. Like like he was oh working God, in New York theater, and then he works his way up. He gets Top Gun, was his huge break. He had done a couple other things. He said no to Top Gun because it glorified war. He does it, yada yada yada. He becomes a huge international star. He's in every movie, yada yada yada. Because he lost some money because of his dad, and doesn't matter. But now he's so fucking old. He's getting wheeled around at like comic conventions, signing autographs for money because he's out of money now. And it's all because of this like surgery. And he went all in on this play because he loves Mark Twain and he loved theater. So he did this Mark Twain play that he was going to get filmed then he was going to turn into a movie. And the cancer thing happened then. So he didn't make any money off of that. And so now he's like signing autographs. So the fact that Tom Cruise, when they said they were doing this movie, he was like, I, I'm not doing this without Val. 
So first things first, you know that Tom Cruise takes care of his people. If Val's in this movie, he's making money when this movie makes money. Val's getting some kind of money. So I say, go see this for him so he never has to sign a fucking autograph. Oh, again, hell yeah, dude. But like, how good is that? This is, he's, cause he's not just, he's not just Batman. He's not just the saint. I know that's like, a, it's, it's not a bad problem to have as an actor. If you just <laughs> are only known for being a superstar actor. He is a real, he's like, we have, people always say Brad Pitt is a character actor trapped in a leading man's body. Maybe the best leading man body of all time. But like, he, you know, that's really what Val Kilmer is too. And in this scene, this is not good, just, just good directing and good editing. He doesn't have to speak. There is a lyric on a screen that he had typed out. First of all, the fact that they're, t- they're texting friends, how fucking sweet is that? that these old guys that used to be enemies and then they turn into friends slash frenemies, they're texting each other all the time. You know your parents text, my parents text. It's very sweet and charming. It's really sweet and charming that these people text, that the two of them, and they haven't seen each other, but they're texting each other. That's so cool. And then he goes and he's typing out the things on the screen. And then Tom Cruise says something and all Val Kilmer has to do is think and then point to the screen. And it's the best mm. line in the whole movie. He doesn't even have to you say have it. You have to let it go, dude. It, it is so, by far, the best scene in the movie. Tom Cruise, I bet you wanted nothing else. He was like, if we're only giving him one scene, it's got to be the best scene in the movie. I, I, I just, I can't say enough about it. Most of They both really brought it, too. It's also like, I, I, I just, I, look, I don't think this movie is going to be nominated for Acting Academy Awards for whatever political and all the other reasons, too. And I don't think Tom Cruise cares but the reason that people forget, I think people really forget it when they start to label these as like, oh, it's just blockbuster stuff. They forget that like these, to make them really excellent, the acting has to be on point too. And that scene is proof. I think there's, a, he has a couple of scenes, this stuff at the end with Miles Teller is very emotional. Um, but this scene is so touching. It's just two people in a room, you know, there's no stunts. It's just about a relationship. It's just about behavior and it's grounded. It's calm. It's, it's sad. And and uplifting at the same time, which is always like that's like blockbuster gold, right? You just you, yeah. it's not just sad, it's not just the depressing Academy Award movie. It makes you want to like fucking do something. Um, and I just feel like it was so touching. And look, then Iceman's passing. I know it was in the trailer, but dude, when Tom Cruise puts that the wings on the coffin, fucking stamps it and stamps it, yeah. Oh my God. When the, one of the blue angels flies away, I had tears in my eyes, dude. Like, they, like Val Kilmer's entire presence in the movie is like a couple texting montages, which is like maximum a minute and a half. He has a scene, which is probably four minutes. And then the funeral sequence, which he's not even present in. And like that little arc got me really, really, really well. This is yeah. very, very effective filmmaking. And again, to go back to what you were saying at the beginning, this whole relationship started with the Iceman Maverick thing, which is so ridiculous and flirty and silly in the first one. And you love it because Val Kilmer is such a dick in it, but then they end up kind of being friends. The time passed and I don't know how they knew that we would care, but like we all completely bought and believed and cared that of course Ice took care of him. It reminded me of the beautiful mind thing with, um, you know, Oh, John Nash, you, you ter- um, terrified, <laughs> petrified, scared of you, you know, you know it, when the guy becomes the dean of Princeton. Um, it really, really, really worked for me. So that's foul. I'm glad we, I'm glad we talked about that. I still I need should, to see I that documentary. Say, I should say he looms over it so much that... Um, looms, he looms, that's a good word. First, first yeah. of all, 
the reason that he's there and the reason he's qualified, even though they, they don't want to hire him to teach this course, is because he killed three fighters in a dogfight, which is a record that has been, hasn't been broken since the 80s because we just don't dogfight the same way that we used to. Saving Iceman's life. And right after Iceman dies, when they try to, to fire Tom Cruise because Iceman's not there protecting him, Tom Cruise basically has that realization like, why did Iceman bring me in? He brought me in because he knows that I, it, when, if I had to break the rules to show these kids that this can be done, I will break the rules to make this mission happen. And I'm the only one that can do it. So he does the stunt that we talked about where he steals the plane because that's, what, not, that's not what Iceman would have done. That's what Iceman would have hoped he would do if Iceman, yeah. you know what I mean? And this yeah, is all dude. stuff that we, the audience, are putting into our heads. They never say that in the movie, but it's so obvious that it's like, can you imagine having that impact on a movie just by one scene? But that's really what it does. Okay. And and uh, to, to just to tie it together with the emotional thing we were saying earlier, the whole scene is is not built around their relationship. It's it's Iceman talking to him about how he needs to let go of what happened with Goose and and start enabling Rooster, Miles Teller's character, right. and yeah, yeah, not yeah. let it hang him up as a as an instructor, as a pilot. And you have to let it go. You have to do these things. So the initial relationship of these two men bonding with each other gives way to Tom Cruise bonding with the next generation, Miles Teller. It just, it all really connected in a very emotional way. So it wasn't even, it didn't even feel plotty to me. You're right. It was all insinuated because it was all about the relationships, um, which, you know, so let's just go there. So now we're in the last sequence and he green lights, he, he, you know, the way this works is there are all these pilots competing. There's going to be two teams. Half of them will be reserves. Half of them will actually go on the mission. Yeah, of course, he picks Miles Teller Rooster to be one of the uh, one of the main Man. flyers. So you're like, sure, this is going to happen. This is going to be huge. Wingman means the leader of the second pack. I always thought the wingman was the person right behind you, but he was actually, because he said, who's your wingman? And he says, Rooster. So who's the leader of the second pack? I thought, no, I thought, I did too. I thought that, I didn't remember them saying wingman. I thought that was... I thought the wingman was the one right behind you. I thought it did too. Wind. But I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I, I wish I had seen this movie again. You I'll know, see it again and I'll right? let you know. I, yeah, I yeah. Said, Who do you want to be your wingman? <laughs> and he goes, and it, you, you thought it was going to be the Iceman guy. Also, yeah. I just say right here, well, we're getting into the spoilers. I'll, I'll say what I want to say in a second. But, but yeah, so anyway, go ahead. So anyway, we're, so we're going on the thing and you think like, you're just going to get to watch this play out. Like I was like, maybe something will go wrong, but I don't think anything's going to go wrong. Cause Top Gun, th these movies are not about starting a new war. They're just about right. pilots. Like we're just trying to keep it about their, their little story. So it was fun watching it play out. They succeed. It's like really, really thrilling and, and amazing. There's this theme of get out of your head rooster and don't think I just do the way he keeps looking at the anti-warcraft missiles to see if they're firing. It got me like yeah. really nervous. What a good the anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, 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 it really works. So when, when he kicks it into gear and he's really starts flying, everybody's like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And then shit starts hitting the fan and you just, you just, again, like I was saying earlier, you know, it's coming. I was like, Maverick's going to sacrifice him. Like there's no way that this is not going to go down. He is going to do something crazy. And sure enough, he does. And I would he have does, been fine if the, the movie he does the trick from the first one where he does the air break up in the air so that Miles yeah, Teller goes under in a very sweet, awesome, kick-ass way, pulls his plane in the middle of a missile in Miles Teller's plane, and Rooster flies away, and Mav's plane goes down. I was like, you know what? That's how this movie ends. Like, you know, some different emotional wrap-up. They try to go back, they can't. It goes back to the plane. We give birth to a new generation. I was gonna be okay with that. 
But Maverick, fun throwback from the beginning. He miraculously <laughs> makes it out of a parachute. Right, right, you know, right. he ejects it some in some way. And we have this whole like coda, this whole section it, where it felt like a coda, right? But when he wakes it really up again, did. it feels it feels like it, almost like an after credit. He is on the ground in snowy, probably Pakistan, if I'm just guessing, wherever the hell this place is. It's probably something like that. Um, so he's in this intense terrain, and you're like, Okay, here we go. This helicopter comes, it tries to shoot him down, and fucking Rooster came back and saves the day. So now they've saved each other, which is really beautiful because this is filmmaking, folks. This is blockbuster filmmaking. They needed to save each other emotionally so that they could save each other physically. And it, it it's so obvious. And when you look at the storyboards, you're like, is this too much? No, because that's what movies, that's what this kind of movie is. You want to see that kind of payoff, and it really, really worked. And then as soon as they got over that hump, yeah, shit kind of hit the fan, and he got shot down too. Because they, and then we have this whole new section where we got some, we got some levity. We were allowed to laugh a little bit when they were like, you know, yeah, why'd you do yeah. that? And he was like, good to see well, you, good layering. to see you. That's layering because you, what you're saying is with underneath, but the words are. You told me not to think. Why? What? That's not what I meant. He's like, what's the I'm point? I sacrificed myself for you. And it's like, but I, that's why I'm sacrificing myself for you. It's like, what was the point of me sacrificing myself for you if you're just gonna? Give the sacrifice back. And they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. They were like, just the courage to be so shameless about this stuff. They were like, you know what? We have one more theme that we haven't quite wrung all the milk out of. Let's get an old plane and let's say that it's not the pilot. It's the plane or it's yeah. not the plane. It's the pilot one more fucking time. So they go back to OG F-14 out of yeah. 1986's Top Gun. Which, by the way, and they I don't steal know what it. that means. Like, nobody knows what that means, but 14 sounds like less than 18. We're good to go. Let's fucking Dude, when, he, when they got inside that cockpit, though, I was like, that's an old plane, dude. There was nothing. Yeah. There was, you know, there were so few electronics that were just existing uh, the way with, like, an interface that we would see today. It looked like a billion switches with no, you know, with no... Uh, screen you know just so there was fun the way they showed the inside of the cockpit really worked for me and then it was the two of them together and it just give me a break are you kidding rooster doing goose's job in the back of the plane i was like here we go this is like how did they get us here but somehow they got us here they're back in the same fucking plane and it builds to this really wonderful chase scene and i you know you know it's coming they're not going to get fucking shot out of the sky <laughs> it's not a tragedy they weren't going to totally die <laughs> hangman comes and saves the day i thought all of them were going to come i thought more planes were going to start chasing them yeah. and like the entire reserve squad was just going to show up and just like fucking light everybody up in f18s but but it was really cool they show up and in the midst of all this Hans Zimmer is playing this track called The Man, The Myth, The Legend. <laughs> and it is just, it is it is if, if Hans Zimmer took the score or the, the theme of Top Gun and just did Hans Zimmer with it. It is yeah. so obviously shamelessly that, and it is so good. It is so fucking awesome. Dude, when they get on that jetway, the landing was awesome, by the way, that net thing, because the plane's oh, fucked up. Yeah. When they no, roll up and yeah, they take... Is that, is that a known thing? <laughs> well, also, because Tom Cruise had the other guy land first. He's like, you land first. We're going to fuck this aircraft carrier up. Oh, we're going to fucking <laughs> fuck it up. When they are all screaming and cheering, just like the first one, I had tears in my eyes, dude. When they were back yeah. on that aircraft carrier, and when he looked him in the eye and said, thank you for saving my life, dude, I was like, I had tears running down my face. <laughs> I was like really moved. Thank you for saving my... Yeah, for sure. You know what? Yeah. The double hug of Val, where Val hugs him and then pulls out and then hugs him again. That got me. You know what? You know what really got me? I'm going to shout it out for. You said Val, but you meant Miles. 
no, no, in Val Kilmer's scene. Oh, in the middle, in the middle, in their in their scene. Yes, they do a double hug sort of with with Miles, where it's like thank you for it's like you know they're embracing, and then he says thank you for saving my life, and they hug again. Um, the Charles Parnell. Sometimes you need he's John Hamm's sidekick, so you could say uh, Ad, it's Admiral Solomon. He's, oh, I can't um, do it. He's I know stoic the whole he's stoic the whole time. His his probably most memorable line in the movie is where John Hamm says, "Well, you put me in a hard situation because you uh, yeah. proved that this impossible mission can be done, even though you stole a multi." Wait, <laughs> wait, you proved that it can be done, but you also did it by stealing a multi-million dollar plane and flying it in such a way that it's not air safe again. Which I'm glad that little bit in there. <laughs> So what do I do? It in I such can either, a way I can either fire you and you'll never see a plane ever again, or you can be the uh, team leader on this mission that we're about to do. And Tom Cruise is about to speak, and he goes, That's, this is probably a rhetorical question. Just like very straight face. Like he's so straight the whole time. The whole He's so straight. And then on the aircraft carrier, he is oh, yeah, laughing, dude. and he has a glow, and he's giving oh, yeah. thumbs up, he's smiling. And he was he was so Morgan Freeman straight the entire movie. And then at that last <laughs> moment when you see him like letting loose, not John Hamm, because John Hamm does the um he does the Ed Harris in Apollo 13 thing where he like kinda you know what I mean? But like this guy going nuts, I was like, Yes, even him. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. That's yeah. I was fucking screaming about it. Which brings me, and I don't want to end on like a low note, because the end credits still got me back with the theme, but my only critique of this whole movie is I know she's extremely talented, but why the fuck did Lady Gaga start singing in the last minute of this <laughs> she has movie? A score credit. Not I was like, what score is credit. happening, dude? How did she she talk her way into Hans Zimmer's booth for the score. Totally totally uncalled for and out of place it was so weird i know the take my breath away it was like such a huge part of the first one but man the music was just so good for the last like 15 minutes it was just so top gun it was huge and it was so eventful and celebratory and then a pop song kicked in and i was like what the hell is happening it just didn't um, make sense to me can i tell you my only um critique with this film mm-hmm. um Miles Teller's character's name in this is Bradley Bradford. Shaw. <laughs> now, I didn't catch that, his, but you're right. He does say Bradley. Is, he does like yell at him at is, one point. Is, his name is Brad Brad. It's Brad. There was a little Brad, bit of Brad. me, too. That's bad. There was a little <laughs> bit of me that at the very end, the song wasn't helping. The song really bothered me but when penny shows up jennifer connelly shows up because you think she's gone he goes back to get her when maverick like sits up and looks at her and they they make eye contact as soon as she pulls up in front of the hangar i kind of wanted it to just we know what's happening like cut to black because mostly i just wanted that song to stop and i feel like oh my god they're gonna like fly together and have like a romance sequence and it's gonna be weird i had so much energy here uh yeah 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 sure 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 sure, 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 sure. like our second buzz of the podcast but I will say I was touched. I was touched by, by the the plane, this you know re, refurbished plane, which was again symbolism. Well, you pick the movie sails. up, put it back together. When he flies away, you know he flies out of view and then flies back and flies the other way again. It was very symbolic, and I thought it really landed visually. I just didn't so like she, the song. She sails, <laughs> she sails, which gets Tom Cruise a little, you know, you know, off his um, 
That was fucking universe. scary. That looked cool. Was crazy. And apparently she learned how to sail <laughs> for the film. Uh, Tom Cruise apparently has already fil- sailed before because this is what he does with his life. Um, this is what Tom Cruise does. Yes. This is what what is his does. insurance policy? <laughs> at this point, at this point, they're like, you have so much money, man. You're your own insurance. He probably has his own insurance company. Um, so then he gets the, you know what I mean? She, she sails. And so he, he takes her in the play. I feel like there was good symmetry with that. I honestly, oh, I, yeah. I, I know we're praising this movie. Like we're really like stroking this off, but like, this is, it's really, it's really good movie. It's, really, it makes you feel really good, but it's not just because the sequences are so good. They really were all motivated really, really well. And I can't wait to hear what your complaints are after seeing it in number two. But, man, I, I, I don't have many. I can't imagine you having much negative stuff to say about this. I think this was done so well. And this premiered at Cannes in the Cannes Film Festival, and apparently got a oh shit. Innovation. It got a huge. I didn't know that. It's funny that it premiered at Cannes two years after it was supposed to premiere at Cannes. But yeah, it, it got a. It, apparently, it got a five-minute standing ovation at Cannes. This it year. premiered. It, dude, that's fucking awesome. Well, you know what? Cannes doesn't even need this movie too, which is so funny. But fuck it. It but doesn't. It doesn't good. need this movie. Look, we're living in this world. What we always praise Tom Cruise for. We're living in this world where like, you're not a movie star unless you put on tights and a cape. And I'm just so. It's just so cool that he has proved to us that yes, of course he were. He does operate an existing IP. I'm not saying he's you know totally doing one-offs or anything, this is but his IP though, so it's okay. It's his IP, but it's also just like uh, you could watch this as a one-off. That's what's so cool about it. You don't need to watch the fucking 30,000 hours around it to understand what multiverse it exists in. No offense. You know, <laughs> I, that's, there's a place for that too. But it was fun just to go see like, I, yeah, they made a movie like fucking 30 plus years ago. And yeah, they're redoing it. But this feels like a reimagining. It doesn't feel like a sequel. Which is yeah. which is really fun. Which is what you know. I think you know the Blade Runner twenty four. There have been a few, couple of other examples where I feel like that reimagining idea and not a sequel is what's so inventive and what's fun about it. Um, I also not gonna lie. First time I saw the, uh, this was the first time I saw the trailer for the next Mission Impossible, oh, and yeah. I'm fucking pumped. So, I mean, so. this guy makes really fun movies. Has his hands all over them. You know he produced the shit out of this. And let's give it up because I think Joseph Kaczynski, who made Oblivion, Tron, Only the Brave, this was massively... I mean, this is huge, dude. I think he's yeah. going to be someone that is going to pump out giant, successful blockbuster films. And I'm just so... How cool was it that they said this film was in memory of Tony Scott at the very end... Uh, and, you know, R.I.P. Tony did something really special with the first one. I think they gave such a wonderful homage to him and also letting Joseph Kaczynski really sail and just kind of show us that him and Tom Cruise clearly have something pretty cool and magical going on. And I can't wait to see what happens next. Um, yeah, I couldn't say I couldn't say it enough. Go see this movie. You're going to have so much fucking fun. You might see it twice in the theater. I am jealous of you. It's maybe it'll maybe it'll happen again for me i don't know this is it was so so good um i don't love the scientology stuff with tom cruise but um i don't love when people have like sweat labor that they do as landscaping for their sins to be washed away i don't love shit like that and i don't love that he donates a lot of money to them but but god damn it man when he makes a movie i dave used to say this about jj abrams they're like every techie wants to work for jj because he gets his shit done Every yeah. everybody should want to work for tom cruise because he gets his shit done he just gets it done every one of his movies is just it's really well done he dots his eyes. He crosses his T's. This is pitched to him during a Mission Impossible movie. Uh, they were on a break, and somebody pitched it to him in 20 minutes. 
And they said, this is what we're going to do. And the first movie, wow. said, the first movie he said no to, and they took him up in a plane. <laughs> they, they hired a Navy pilot to take Tom Cruise up in a plane. And then as soon as he landed, he ran and, and called and he said, okay, I'll do the movie. I'll do the movie. Just make it like that. Just please let the movie be like that. Wow. So, anyway. Let's also just very quickly. The other night when I was driving home, I was thinking, Yes, he's like, God, he's earned, he's, he's made his movies in the movie industry billions and billions of dollars over the years. Like, he, he's getting rewarded. But Tom Cruise, I wonder what it feels like to be like, he never gets mentioned at Oscar. You know, he's not that, he's not that kind of performer. He doesn't exist in that world. Like, there's like, it's like Hollywood and these giant, you know, industries like are- Nicholas Nicolas Cage. They both, they're really, they both were yeah. nominated. They could have, Nicholas Cage won. He could have won for Born on the Fourth of July. Sorry, Daniel Day-Lewis They're so, they're so, that, it's just won. so divided though, you know? Like, I wonder what it feels like for him to know that like, it's like, I feel like watching his career- you see someone who made peace a, quite a long time ago, but it's just becoming even richer as he leans more and more into it. I feel like he told himself years ago, like, I'm just not that actor. Like, I want to be a great actor. I'm going to try as hard as I can, but that's not the kind of movies I make. I'm going to do the kind of movies that I make. And he seems to have just gotten better and better at making them and being a part of them, facilitating them, helping them get to life and still getting all the things that you want out of a really good movie into these giant spectacle movies. Yeah. It's really impressive. He's got, he's got 20 years to get his Christopher Plummer 80 year old Oscar. So we'll see if Paul Thomas Anderson writes him one more role that'll get him in contention. He'll, he'll probably pump it out at some point, but until then, John, thank you, Tom. <laughs> John, did we praise this movie enough. Um, so we're going to have to take it. We just, we just volleyball scene this movie. <laughs> I mean, we got sweaty and soaked for this thing. Oh, yeah, baby. We should have gussed each other, but, you know, it was all productive. Um, uh, so this is the part of the episode, everybody, where we recommend things that we've seen to you, give you our initial thoughts and other things that are going on in the industry. I have a lot of thoughts this week. So, John, do you want to start this week and say something? I am just, I am watching the last part two of season four of Ozark. And, yeah, everything you've heard is true. People love it's really good. You love it? <laughs> yeah, it's really good, man. I mean, it's really good. I've had a, it's been a little intense, just like binging only that thing for the past like week or so. Like it's been like, right. oh my God, it's really, it's really sad. You know, it's, yeah. it's a sad show, but um, it's really captivating. I haven't watched this many hours of something in a while. So I'm kind of excited to, to not be completely dedicating all my free time to this anymore. But the show is really, really excellent. And I understand what all the hoopla is about. Have you watched... Obi-Wan. Okay, let me let me set up Obi-Wan for you. I uh, John, you're John's in film school here. You Okay. So, John. Yeah. Obi-Wan opens not with Obi-Wan. It opens with these people called the Inquisitors that are trying to find all the Jedi's and kill them. And they do use lightsabers. So that's how it opens. So, instead of Obi-Wan, this is like clearly the Obi-Wan backstory. This is clearly plot. Obi-Wan is a part of this and it's like, is he going to, is, you know, so already I'm like, Oh fuck. Now I, I should preface everything I'm going to say with Mandalorian really fucked everything up for the star Wars universe. Cause it's so good. It's, it's good. <laughs> not just in the sense that it's like breaking bad, good or Sopranos good. I just mean like, it's exactly what's the star Wars world needed after whatever the fuck happened to seven, eight, nine. It's <laughs> so, so good. What, and as I said last time, I don't know if you buzz me, but I'll just pretend like you did. Uh, I buzz, yeah. 
they stole, as I said last time, they stole the Bubba Fett storyline. He was a bounty hunter with armor and no love life and just went from planet to planet and did jobs. And that's what the Mandalorian was. So they fucked it. It ruined Bubba Fett. I've already talked about this. I'm not going to get into it again. So now we have this Obi-Wan story, which is supposed to be a movie, but then Disney Plus comes along and they, uh, they beg Ewan McGregor to do a six episode. I can't even imagine how much money he's making per episode for them to do this. And it opens with the Inquisitors. So already off the bat, it's like, ugh. so now we like, it's like, are the Inquisitors going to find him? It's like a duck hunt. Fuck. Okay, great. That's what Obi-Wan's going to be. Fine. We talked about choices with Top Gun. Risky choice for Obi-Wan. Let me, let me just, I'm going to get really specific. Are you ready? And I want you, I want you to, I'm going to talk through a scenario and I want you to give me possible outcomes. Are you ready? Okay. So here we go. The Inquisitors, who are trying to find Jedi, are in the middle. It's in Tatooine, but it's not the most Eisley space station. But they're in, like, you picture that desert, and it's like a little town in the desert. And 50 people are scattered around this town square. And the Inquisitors, with the lightsabers, are saying, I know you know where Obi-Wan is. If you don't tell us, we're going to start chopping hands off. We're going to start chopping your hand off with the lightsaber if you don't tell us where Obi-Wan Kenobi is. And then a woman speaks up and says, can't you just leave us alone? The Inquisitor chops her hand off with a lightsaber. John, what do you think happens next? Obi-Wan saves her or he comes yes. out and... Give me yeah. an alternate option. What is, what is alternate option? Is it possibility number two. Uh, Jesus, I don't know, dude. Somebody, somebody else pops out and saves them. Good, 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 good. What, what what do you think happens when when somebody chops your hand off with a lightsaber? What what how would you re respond to that? Oh, I would scream. I would freak out. I would cry. Nothing happens. They change the coverage and the woman disappears. She's gone. What? She they chop the hand off. You see the hand on the ground, and then they change coverage, and the the inquisitor just goes. If anybody else can tell me where Obi-Wan Kenobi is. And the woman who just had her hand chopped off is just, she just vanishes in thin air. She's just not in the scene anymore. She was, there's no consequence to the she, pain. They, ding, 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 ding. Word of the day. Consequence. Star yeah. Wars. You can't tell us Chewbacca's in the carrier and then zap the carrier and then have Ray cry for five minutes and then say, wait, just kidding. Chewbacca's alive. He was in a different plane. You can't do these things to us. That's stupid. And it shows us that we, there's no consequences. You just, you're making this up as you go. Bubba Fett, you made up as you went because Mandalorian stole his, his storyline and everybody hated it. And that's fine. Now we're at Obi-Wan. How did you not learn your fucking lesson? They just chopped this woman's hand off and then she's not even in the scene anymore. She doesn't yell. The, nobody escorts her to a doctor. No consequence. She's just gone. And then Obi-Wan doesn't move because he doesn't want to be discovered that he's a Jedi. Do we see his inner struggle of being like, oh my God, I could do something. I could do something. Nah, not, no, not really. That's how shitty Obi-Wan is right now, man. It's so stupid. Um, really? It, we have Leia in episode two as a nine-year-old girl. Nine-year-old Leia. And it is fucking Jingle, out of the, Jingle All the Way meets Home Alone. She is, I've heard she, it was, She yeah. might as well be running through the legs of grown men who can't catch her. Like, it is so stupid and so just, it's just so terribly done. Oh, man, dude. Watch this. I know, I know, you're, I know, I know. But the worst part is, Ewan McGregor doing recon in the desert and just trying to keep up with Luke is good. 
which everybody knew was going to be good with the Obi-Wan story. Just let him do his recon and let him struggle with the fact that he buried his lightsaber and he can't use it anymore. Instead, all this other plot, why is he chasing Leia down in a distant planet? It's obviously a trap, spoiler. And then this little nine-year-old girl goes, no, leave me alone, and runs away. And the most powerful Jedi in the universe can't catch a nine-year-old girl? It's like, it's so stupid. It's Dude, so stupid. I heard somebody, yeah, I heard somebody else say, uh, yeah, I won't out them. But I heard somebody else say that it's um, very family friendly. Like they said it was a little more aimed at that family feel than they okay. thought it would be. To which I said, like episode one. And they were like, maybe not that bad, but yeah. closer to that no, than, than, than you want it to be. Because the pod racer sequence in episode one is better than anything that they have going on in this show. This is this is tough so far. It's tough. Oh, Look, again, that Obi-Wan fucking the, sucks, Obi-Wan man. Obi Wan in the desert is fine, but the story of the week stuff and the Inquisitor stuff. Oh, All right, I'm not going to even speak to this. Like I know I'm a pro at this because I haven't, di- like I haven't gone as deep as you guys. But Chris, who hopefully we'll have back, an assistant editor on Mandalorian, who's just a huge Star Wars fan. You know, he's got all these. He's in meetings, you know. With, yeah. You know, people who make this show and stuff, and it's not like they talk about this consciously, but he just as a fan, he was saying that, like, you know, I just think that, like, the reason Mando seems to work is because it is so disconnected. You know, it's not, they didn't start with the story of Boba Fett just because he was a cool character. It's the same reason we liked Rogue One. We knew enough about the situation to give us our own world, and we can kind of start building it from a protagonist's point of view. So like every time they try to do this, I don't know. It's a shame. I feel like they, I feel like they aren't quite sure if they want to keep doing what they've been doing with the movies. Because other than Rogue One, they kind of stuck. You know, they seems like they were sticking to no, 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 no. We want to keep our structure and our archetypes. We want to keep trying to play with that. We want people to see the same thing with different characters every time. We want it to be the same story. And I don't know if Obi-Wan's trying to do that or not, but like it, it feels like they had an opportunity to go for like a gritty, sandy, you know, yeah. kind of tale. And I hope well, they I hope it makes the turn. They admitted that Mandalorian fucked them up because they said they were worried about if it just becomes Obi-Wan trying to protect the child, then that's what Mandalorian is. It's Mandalorian trying to protect Baby Yoda. And so they were worried that the storyline was taken. What I say to that is, who the fuck cares? It's Obi-Wan. This is, I promise you, this is a different type of protecting a kid. And this is the Obi-Wan storyline. This is what it is. We're talking about a world where he changes his name to Ben, but keeps his last name, Kenobi, and nobody finds him. Not we're to mention that... About, and Luke. <laughs> Luke's last name is Skywalker. <laughs> ben. I'm not, I'm not Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm Ben Kenobi. Oh! I wonder if he's talking right, about old some, Ben yeah. Kenobi. Yeah, it's the same last name. So obviously so it's a little cheesy. Good. So just, just stop. Kenobi's a very common name on Tatooine. I don't know if you knew that, but... Anyway. Dude, you're totally right. Especially, I'll take it even further. That's already OG Obi-Wan. That was the first episode. That was all one, two, and three was him taking care of a kid. Yeah, <laughs> so they have an opportunity oh, here be, to, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? They have an opportunity here to subvert it because with, I don't know, the whole time we were watching Obi-Wan do that the first time, that's like the impending doom of we were all just waiting to see Anakin turn into this bad person. Well, now they have this other opportunity. We think he's taking care of Luke. Nothing bad can happen. He's Luke. We already know what happens. There's your opportunity. What could happen? 
It will throw him off track. What makes him doubt that Luke's going to grow up and be who he needs to be? There are so many things that they can do. I haven't watched it yet, but hopefully they'll go down that road. No, it's Leia, but if you're using nine-year-old Leia in the second episode, you're desperate. And they should have, it should have been a red flag from the very beginning. Anyway, what's funny about this whole, like, oh, it's a kid's thing. We don't, yeah. Stranger Things has them, like, talking about smoking weed and stuff. And Stranger Things is a lot better than Obi-Wan right Look, now. Look, if Stranger Things, if they don't lose some virginity on Stranger Things, they're really missing out. These kids are too old. <laughs> they're now apparently freshmen in high school. Um, we'll see. We'll see soon. No virginity loss. Somebody's giving it up. But they're, but they're smoking weed and they're talking about that. Um, and it's not quite as good as season one, in my point of view. I'm old. Younger kids love season three because it's bigger. Younger kids just love bigger, apparently. But, but oh my god, season three was not. But not it, folks. Yeah, it was not I'm, it. <laughs> I'm with you. But and some storylines are better than others. The the hop storyline so far is not great, but. Um, but they're going for it, and you know what? The kid stuff is great, and so. Do you feel like it's back? Is it better? Because I feel like two was not as good as one, and three was worse than two. And I think I, I don't know. I don't think anything's gonna top one for me because I just thought it was such a good, simple story with one very clear monster antagonist and a very clear sci-fi fantasy trope of the upside-down world, which is a spin on so many different kinds of tropes. All the '80s stuff. Yeah. Was great. And then now I think it's a good. I think it's exactly what it should have been. I don't know. It's impossible to get ten storylines that intersects. Look at Lord of the Rings. You know, somehow they found a way for Merry and Pip to be with the trees for a full book and not fuck the trees. <laughs> like somehow they were able to do that. Like somehow they were like, that's equal to Frodo destroying the ring is them with the trees. And you know what? They pulled it off. It's hard, but th- but it's possible. And it's it's almost impossible for these shows. I thought about with Mrs. Maisel. The family doesn't have anything to do with Mrs. Maisel. With this show, Stranger Things. Not every storyline is going to be as good as Eleven's. Not every storyline is going to, you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you splinter off into five different storylines, it's hard to keep them all equally interesting. But so, how many have you seen of each of these series? How many episodes? Obi Wan has two out, and I saw both of them. And Stranger Things, I saw five so far. So, I've seen a decent amount of that. And then I watched the George Carlin okay. documentary, which was really great. And really makes you think. That's it. Folks, we had a great week. I. This is fun. Like you said, man, we got the big TV push, a whole bunch of good stuff out there. Top Gun's out. Jurassic Park's coming out next week, two weeks from now. I uh, can't. I know. It's ridiculous. I can't wait. That fucker, they fucker, they put in the trailer, that dude who won the Instagram thing. How much money are they giving Laura Dern? Oh, Blue had babies. How much money are they? Even Chris Pratt has to be like, guys, you got to pay me. You got to pay. Like, I'm sorry. Bryce Dallas Howard. But how do they get all the originals back? Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Sam Neill. Like, you gotta be how how lots like, and lots of money, dude. They 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 gave them whatever they they said. Name your price. You can't. <laughs> okay, maybe for one movie, Sam Neill goes, guys, come on, I need this. Give me, come on, let's let's get the team back together. But second or third movie, it's like, hey, Jeff Goldblum, I know you have your own Disney Plus show. I, I don't have anything to, to tell you. Like, how much money should we ask for? Like, you know what I mean? Well, why why are they still doing these movies? I, I kind of felt that way about all of these reboots. These these this whole generation of Jurassic Parks. Like, the th- there's like nothing. I no, no, I I have liked them. Don't get me wrong. I, I have enjoyed watching them, but they're so far removed the from volcano, like the, the absurd like necessity of John Hamm's original vision. Like, it just feels like this is just this nothing. I don't know. It just they haven't really made sense. But it's still fun just watching them happen. I guess. I don't fucking know. I'm still going to go see it. I'll see it at least once in the theater with a giant smile on my face and a big-ass thing of popcorn in my lap. I, I'll be there. <laughs> thank God for IMAX, unless we're talking about real cinema, in which case IMAX is ruining cinema. But thank God for IMAX when it comes to these fucking movies. All right, one buzz for the road. John, it's been a pleasure. Dave's back next week, This is week, fun. Folks. Join us next week for Dave's return from 
Aussie world. I can't wait to hear about his trip. I hope it was good. Excited to talk about some dinosaurs. I'm going to make him say things in a really thick Australian accent about the dinosaurs. That's going to be fun. It's going to be good. All right, John. Until next time. All right, man. Peace. I feel the need. The need for speed. Wait, you ready? Revving up your engine, listening to her howling roar, metal under tension, begging you to touch and go. No rhymes in there. Next one. Spreading out her wings tonight. She got you jumping off the deck, shoving into overdrive. What the fuck are they talking about?